open the beer after I hit record. Now I have to yeah. edit out. Now I have to edit out the beer opening. Guys, I also only have one beer left in the house, so this is gonna be enjoyed slowly. Yeah. No, it's already like almost done. Cheers to that. Oh, at least it's an arrow's beer. That's nice. Yeah, no, I got, I got. Uh, mine's pretty cool. It's a, it's a Pete's like Pete's beer. Ooh, Ooh. Bob Cajun is where. Oh, like a. Oh, well, yeah, week. you guys, you guys were up there. Yeah. Yeah. Great little town. Great little. Town. Right. Anyway, that's actually get on. With it. I should just make this the intro to the podcast at this <laughs> point. Cold, fun, cold open talking about beer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Larue's Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Gentlemen, it's the end of probably one of the busiest times in the rugby calendar in the last, gosh, few years since, you know, maybe the World Cup. Olympics finished. British and Irish Lions finished. MLR season finished. Kind of the dust is settled. You know, we've got the, the rugby championship, but... I want to I want to take the time to kind of look back at this this MLR 2021 season and kind of um, look back at really what it was because it was it was a great success but it was also kind of a weird season in many different facets. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun to watch some of this rugby. I don't know if you guys uh, have a contradictive opinion about that. If you do, then that's. <laughs> very hot take but uh yeah yeah no i'm not i'm not gonna come on the uh, the rugby podcast and be like oh man all that, that rugby that we got to watch this year that was that was terrible looked yeah after, after a not. year of you forgot like, what, five like games? you forgot so many things in that intro too you, you missed the olympics i said the olympics oh did you say the olympics oh, yeah. not all right rough you're start, not paying attention start. that's your fault yeah, it's on you. Hey, you know what you know what i that makes up for you guys opening a beers after i press record and have to edit that out of the intro now so now now we're, we're even I think That's someone's fair. upset they don't have a beer with them. Oh, I think yeah. someone's right. upset. But I mean, if you look at everything that's especially outside of rugby, the year that's been this year, the fact that we've had the Olympics, the Lions Tour, MLR is a testament to everyone working behind the scenes, um, all the logistics, all the testing that has to take place. And, you know, it's very easy to you know, ignore that when you're sitting down for like 80 to 90 minutes of rugby. So to everyone who's been involved with any form of rugby over this past season, wherever you are in the world, thank you very much that we've been able to have the sport that we love. Well, that, was, that was the big stat too, that everyone's throwing around at the end of the season, the 99 and 0, right? The, um, yeah. you know, from an MLR perspective, you know, as a new league, you know, coming out of, you know, coming out of a pandemic, being able to, you know, put on every single game. No games got canceled. One game got rescheduled and that was in week one. And, you know, and so many people did basically whatever it took to make that happen, especially, you know, the Toronto Arrows relocating for the entire season to Atlanta, you know, just to kind of make the MLR season happen. So, you know, and it was, and like, like you guys also kind of touched on too, you know, 2020, 2021, it's been kind of a rough year for a lot of people. And, um, I think, you know, from the MLR standpoint, I think it gave a lot of people something to look forward to on the weekends. Right. So um, it was an unreal season. So kind of excited to look back on it. We get to uh, dive in, dive into some awards, yeah, dive into our own awards as we're going to hijack everything that the MLR did um, um, for, now, our, uh, for our own personal gain and content. Before we get into that, um, Stu, you were at the uh, Arrows 
Welcome back, Bruhaha. Thank you, fans. Party last night. How was that? That was interesting. It's so <laughs> I've been uh, that's to... a glow, glowing review there, Stu. No, in the sense of it's the same thing of going to any event where there's a limited capacity because of COVID. So you don't have like the big launch events that were in 2020 and 2019 with as many fans as possible in a certain space. Um, there were a handful of players there. There was um, uh, their partners as well. Uh, really nice. We had a short speech from Bill Webb. Uh, one thing that uh, is another positive, another testament to the Arrows is that there were zero COVID cases within the team uh, while they were down in Atlanta. And Amazing. That's, yeah, fantastic to hear. And um, you know, there was a little bit of news given, um, nothing confirmed, so I won't speak about it until it is, hopefully. Um, and yeah, it was it was just good to, well, it's as close as you can get to having rugby in Toronto again. Is well, at least you got the rugby players in Toronto again. <laughs> you know, baby steps, baby steps. Um, but uh, you know, it just. It gets me excited for you know next season in 2022, and then I have to remind myself that that's at least like five well, to you six know what, months dude, away. Like, so, it's, but six months, like yeah. I, I remember January, like it was nothing. I remember the beginning of the season, like it was nothing. Like holy moly, like 2021 is blown by. Like it's wild. It's big, it's, big change of pace from the speed that 2020 20, oh, that 2020 yeah. passed us by at. Yeah, God, I that. That first, like, that first April of 2020 was like, it felt like a year. In a Just, month, yeah. that was like the first full mm. month of like the mm. lockdown. Brutal. Mm. Um. All right, guys. Well, let's quickly go over kind of the MLR awards because we're we're gonna be shifting our kind of standards off of them. So, in terms of Canadian talent, uh, with the um the first 15 All Star team, uh, we had from the Arrows, Lucas Rumball and Ben Lesage. Featured and then uh, DTH Vandam Merver uh, from LA, um, all uh, earning their spots on the All Star team. I don't think any of us can argue about where they are. You know that is a nope. pretty like they all had incredible seasons. I mean, like like I, I was looking up for our own purposes for the show DTH's stats this year. Like the fact that he had eighteen line breaks. Seven turnovers as a wing. Um, he he, you know, he had over over eleven hundred uh, meters carried, um, fifteen offloads, kicked for over two hundred meters. Like the guy had an incredible season at at his age. You know, like Rugby Canada is weeping in their beds that that he's done because he had such an incredible season this year. So um, happy to see him on there. I mean. We don't even need to get into Derek. Derek, I'm sure later on we'll talk about Lucas Rumball's stats. Oh, um, this is based this whole thing. This is um, the Lucas Rumball. Fan I'm actually going to be putting a yeah. timer on you just so that way we don't spend that much time talking about Lucas Rumball. Yeah. And, and, and again, Ben Lesage as well. about Lucas Rumball, man? Like it's because like I'm sure we can make a super cut of you talking about Lucas Rumball, and it could be its own like podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for talking about the best player yeah. in the league during the season. Sorry. All right. So, on the second All Star team, we've got Tommy De La Vega. Um, 
incredible, incredible season for him as well. Um, and then the the honorable mentions was why would they not just call him the third? Yeah, I didn't. Like, it, I didn't if it's an that. honorable mentions, you and you've got a full team, just call them the thirds. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's essentially what it is. It's third just, team yeah, like, anyways, there was no there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing a third team all star too. It's just yeah. call it the third team. I don't, I don't get why it's honorable mention. I would have yeah. got like honorable mention to me would have made sense if it was like a, a like, couple guys. If it was like, like, yeah, 10 guys, no all random positions, just be like, yeah, hey, sure. we just want to point out that these 10 guys were super close, yeah, to getting on the team. But yeah, this is it's it's weird. Just call it the third team all star. I mean, yeah. that's kind of how I feel like. I want to refer to them as anyways. It's just, it's the third team and congrats. I, I, so I'm looking at, at the honorable mentions. I mean, I would make a case for either Manuel Diana or locking Tuchelet. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the eight position, they've got Cam Dolan kind of a different, you know, plays the eight at, at a different, in a different way. So, you know, you can definitely make arguments on who is, I think was more, had a better season. Uh, and then, and then Bowden Bowden Waka was was the fifteen, in the honorable mentions who had a pretty good season as well. It's kind of hard; like, his value is so much higher because he's the kicker for 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 New England. So you know, you, do you include him there? It's that's a toughie. So, um, yeah, I think I think when you're looking at eight and stuff like Conradi, Dom, Dolan, and Diana are the four best eights in the league. And then at that point, like you're just disputing order. So they went with they went with Conradi, Dom, Dolan. And I'm yeah. like, that's like I'm not I'm not too upset about that. I think Diana would be I to me, Diana would be in the conversation. You could probably argue if you wanted to make the argument, especially like just his ball carrying ability alone, you can maybe make an argument for it. But I mean, Jason Dom did that extremely well too, right? Like there's it's it's not like it's not like in a, like I mean I know we're, we're the arrows podcast so we're gonna vouch for some arrows guys obviously <laughs> to be included but um like I don't know that one didn't really bother me even like like you said like walk what big thing that Waka does too is he contributes off his boot and like the the kicking game and stuff um I think I think Waka might be you know just he's incredibly important to his team there's no disputing who got number one for fullback um who got the first team all star. Um, that's not Foden was also good again. That's just, um, like I don't, I don't yeah, really Foden. I would say Tukla had a better season, Foden, but I mean, again, see, I, I think that was the one the, I, the, I, I would have the... put Waka ahead of Foden. I would have Waka, yeah. So here's Waka. the problem with, with the MLR app it shows really good stats, but it lumps it like your career stats, it doesn't show you mm. single seasons. So the thing with Ben Foden is if I wanted to compare his stats to walking Tuklet, it would show his three, you know, two and a half seasons and not just Here, this what do you, year. I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up for you. So anyways, it was, uh, while you're doing that, we'll, we'll move on and then you can kind of chime in later there, Derek, um, forward of the year, uh, Johan Momsen. Again, you can make an argument for Rumble, but I mean, Momsen was a, a I'll, monster. I'll make an argument year. for Rumble later, but you said like, it okay. takes too long for me to do it. So yeah. So, you know, that that's fair play. Um, play uh, back of the year, Billy Meeks. Um, we Second kind of best a, back of the year. Billy yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I think this is, a, I think that if he didn't get a Matt Turner head to the face 
and had a full season, Billy Meeks would have been able to show a little bit more. So I like this choice. I like no, I, I I have no issue with Billy Meeks winning the award. But it's just Mikey Teo, player of the year, Mikey was the Tao's best. The yeah, the next one that yeah. you're gonna say is Mikey Teo's the player of the year. And, and you know, I think a lot of fans, back. yeah, I think a lot of fans have have a bad taste in their mouth because of maybe his performance in the internationals. That doesn't matter. But it yeah. doesn't matter. This is MLR. Mikey mm-hmm. Teo was the best back. The best straw player. that stirred like when I think of MVP, I don't even just think about the like statistical like prowess. I think about leadership and, and how much if I if I pluck the player out of their team, hmm. how much of an impact is that going to make? You know, like I would make an argument that that you know, um, Johan Moms and Billy Meeks. If I take them out of their teams, yeah, they'd suffer. But like, if I take Mikey Teo out of Utah, like they would lose a yeah. huge playmaker, a you know monster with the ball. I I I I don't argue with this decision at all. Making him the MVP. No, yeah, no, Tails, a hundred percent the MVP. Um, like you said, like you know, he he just facilitated that offense um, for the Utah Warriors, and you know, like he was the guy that created so many of their tries, and the fact that Utah was able to score so many tries was a major reason why they made the playoffs. Right, like they, Sean Pittman, who also won Coach of the Year, he created a very distinct play style for that team. And Teo is a big reason why they were able to play rugby like that, why they were able to, you know, have such an offensively minded team. They had a really good set piece that helped balance that out for sure. But it was like, you know, the what Teo and Cruze, who I mean, Cruze should probably be a little bit higher up on these teams himself, but, um, he just has stiff competition yeah. in that position, really. Yeah, it's it's true. But yeah, like the, what those two guys were able to do from an attack standpoint was mind-boggling um, a lot of the times this year. And like Teo just d- did everything, man. And it's like I saw like on Reddit, there was people that like were upset that Teo got it in the first 15. But I think, Dan, like you said, it's like he played – he had a bad game against England. And like – he. But that doesn't matter. It's the MLR. It's not. It's, it's the not, MLR. It's not MVP. the USA Rugby Award. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, like, that's not. Has no that's not what this it. is. Um, yeah. and, and, yeah. and that's not. And, and hey, if you think Teo had a bad game against England, like that, that's fine. You're uh, entitled yeah. to that opinion, but it doesn't affect this at all. Yeah. And but yeah, like I, you know, to to be perfectly honest, um, I I, I have no issue with and with a lot of these award winners really except i mean i'll get into why rumble should have won yeah. every year rumble should have won back of the year that's how good he was he should have got back <laughs> no, rookie no, uh, no. Yeah, and coach back rookie and coach he doesn't have the step he doesn't have the kicking ability come on let's let's well we, have, god, we haven't but not, seen he's not the god if, if billy he's meeks, the god of the breakdown if, if billy like, meeks, if, we've, if there were rugby if there were rugby like gods you know he wouldn't be like zeus He'd be like Aries. He'd be like God of the Breakdown. I be Lucas Rumballs. Like, well, okay. I who, is, who would be I, Zeus then? Now I'm curious. Now, I, you well, I mean, if we're going to look out for these ah, awards this year, it'd be Mike Teo because he's a player of the year. Teo. Oh, right. No. I know that a few of the Arrows players actually listen to this podcast. So, Lucas, <laughs> if you want to become like player of the year, you got to score a drop goal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that, that, that will end all doubt. 
and get some yeah. pointers from Sam uh, from Sammy Malcolm. Go. In here. I, oh, good to go. I was hit that post five times in a row, and if I mean Billy Meeks should have won Forward of the Year. He, <laughs> he had a damn good game in the seventh jersey. If Billy Meeks can play flanker, Lucas Rumball can play any position that he wants. Oh boy, so uh, let's let's hope that that we never come to that. Um, okay, Rookie of the Year, Andrew Guerra from from Nola. Uh, this is an interesting one, and, and again, it comes down to what do you um, rate higher? Do you, you know, Andrew Guerra had a high work rate all year. You know, was was a like a honey badger for uh, for Nola. I would have edged closer to Connor Mooneyham. Yes, personally, I, I think that he was. Again, if we're talking about playmakers, he when when he wasn't hurt. You know that that's a that's a key point to this. When he wasn't hurt, he was you know the stir that or the straw that stirred the drink in a lot of different plays and scoring plays for Austin. Like I think about I think about that game where they beat uh, Rugby ATL at the death. Like Connie Mooneyham had his hands all over that game. Um, I don't know. I I I see why people liked the the Guerra pick. I just would have gone with Mooneyham. The the thing to me that I think separates Guerrero and Mooneyham to me, Guerrero was tenth in the league in tackles, right? And it's to me, if you're you're coming in as a rookie who's drafted tenth overall in the draft last year, you know he he had a great work rate. He, he demonstrated a good ability to carry the ball, but you know tackling at the rate that he did and performing that well, like to come out of your rookie season and your top 10 in the league in a very important statistical category. I think mm-hmm. that separates him from Mooneyham. And I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a in fan 12 of appearances and in, in almost 900 minutes played. He had, and Mooneyham had 800 meters carried 10 line breaks, 352, meters kicked 50 tackles and he scored three tries and had a try assist like no it's good i think uh, i think i think this debate is guerrero versus mooneyham i don't think there's a third player oh, no. involved no um i think i think yeah. is there is there an age cap like like in uh in the nhl because then we could say like matt Gittell. <laughs> um yeah i'm well the nhl did change that they had to change that in the uh 80s Makarov won it. Sergey Makarov won it as a like I think thirty two years old when he came over from the Soviet Union finally. Yeah, and he was like one of like the best. You have to be yeah, and he was one of the yeah yeah twenty six now because Makarov was one of the best Soviet players, and then he came over to Calgary, and they were like, he's the rookie of the year, and everyone's like, this dude is going to be a Hall of Famer eventually. Like he's he's already well into he's elite. Like, <laughs> but um, so I, I don't think I don't think they they must. I'm assuming they have some sort of criteria. Yeah. Um, um like, nice, yeah, nice story. I think, I think Guerrero, I think Guerrero is fully deserving of it. I have no issue. Like I said, I would have been happy with Guerrero or Mooneyham. And if it went to Guerrero, I think that's cool. Um, coach of the year, uh, nice story. Sean Pittman of the Utah Warriors. Um, they also, when they announced this, ripped off the interim title off of his his head coaching title. So uh good for him. I mean, making the playoffs will get that intro. Yeah, I mean, quick. Scott Lawrence, I think, needs to be in the discussion as well. You know, yeah. he's one of the few domestic coaches. Um, Pit- Pittman's the program. domestic. I said one of the few. 
like I, I that's not my only point you know he's he's a capped u.s eagle himself um the program that he's built with um with rugby atl making it to the final you know doing it without i, I would say i don't think that that they really have like a star player like like mikey teow or you know they do have the forward of the year yeah I'm is is Johan Momsen not a star offensive, player? I, I'm always going to be offensively minded when I think about this. Anyways, I, 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 I would possibly go with Scott Lawrence, but I also see why Sean Pittman's a great choice. Stu, I'll let you chime in on something here. No, I've got to agree, especially the whole how Pittman was the acting coach. He is now the head coach uh, for Utah. And, I mean, if you look at Utah's record prior to the season – like we were saying, they just didn't have the ability to string victories together. This has been the first year in which they've got back to back victories in during the season. Um, unfortunately, at the expense of the arrows for the first one, but you know, <laughs> you know, we, we we were tanking on purpose to get like the best better choices for uh, <laughs> the draft. That is what I'll say um, for now. Um, but in but you know. It's credit where it's due. Whatever um, has been going on behind the scenes at Utah, it's obviously worked to get them into like the playoff position. Mm-hmm. And for up until I think it was like the 75th minute, it looked like they were going to make the final. And then, of course, my man, uh, Ryan James, put an end to those uh, hopes and dreams. <laughs> but um, ultimately... Ryan yeah, James, and- is. I would say he's he's up there for rookie of the year. It's not. Yeah. It's not technically a rookie. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess he played yeah, like a couple, yeah. like, yeah. how, like two. Just because he's twenty-one, yeah, it's easy to I think that he he's played a... for Colorado. That's fair. Yeah. Well, that team doesn't exist, and therefore that record is uh, expunged from the. You just making that players. argument with some with with like the Thrashers. They're like they don't exist anymore. Wipe the slate. All the records for the uh, for the Jets end. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Thrashers dying. So there is people that 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 will make that argument, Stu. I um well the like the difference though is the Thrashers moved right like they moved somewhere like they still exist ah, Colorado semantics. doesn't exist semantics um, they they're gone they, they don't exist in the city anymore they're a different team I just I I just want to know Dan how come I'm gonna get a time limit on talking about Lucas Rumball but Stu doesn't get a time limit on talking about Ryan James because I know how to because keep that's it short and sweet that was tidy. Yeah. We also, we, like, went, we went from talking about Sean Pittman winning Coach of the Year to Stu shoehorn that in to be like, remember no, no, how that was Ryan me. James I, was in the semifinal? Oh yeah, that's congrats, cool. Sean Pittman, on your Coach of the Year. Let me remind you on how you lost to <laughs> Ryan James. All right, guys, let's uh, let's get into the meat of the episode because we want to do our Larue's Rugby End of the Season Awards. Um, now we we have a couple rules, and again. Everybody and their dog are, are making their teams of the year MVP choices because, you know, that's what content creators do. So for us, um, we are going to be picking from Canadian players only. Um, and you cannot select the same. And this is going to this is going to burn Derek. And I know that he'll probably not listen to the rule anyways, but you can't select the same player for more than one award. What? I want you. And that's what? fine. If you if you didn't follow that rule. That's no, fine. you just you're just informing me of that rule. It's now. on was... the script, Derek. No, it's not. Oh, it is on the script. Uh, All right. Gosh. So, oh, so that 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 means that means I have to pick the second best Canadian forward of the year. Yes. That's fine. Yes. Oh. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm glad you answered the, the young question. Okay, uh, so we're going to start with the Eastern Conference MVP. And I get to go first because my name is first. And we'll, we'll do like a snake draft. We'll switch off the, the, the order. Um, so this is an interesting one for me because, again, with that, that same player rule, I needed to mix things up. Um, and I picked a player that, you know what, cards on the table, he's probably not the best at his position. He's probably not even the most skilled player on his team. But if I, and I mentioned it before with Mikey Teo, if I plucked that player off of his team, there is going to be a huge hole in terms of, it's a guy that constantly is putting the work rate in. He is a leader on the team. He's a captain of his team. He's putting in the work every time he goes on the pitch. And for the first two games, he honestly had the best relationship with the refs anyone could have because he was constantly talking to them. Some might even say that he 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 was able to convince those refs to down card to play a card afterwards from a red to a yellow. So I'm going with my Eastern Conference MVP. I'm going with Josh Larson. I think that um, while they didn't make the playoffs, I think that the Free Jacks can hold their heads high because they were competitive all the way through with a couple hiccups here and there. And, um, you know, I think Josh was a big part of that. Whenever, you know, there was dirty work that needed to be done, Josh Larson was there. So I'm going to give him my Eastern Conference MVP. Derek, who is your MVP for the Eastern Conference? You already know. It's it's uh, it's Lucas Rumball. Um, it's... Uh... It's yeah, it's Lucas Rumball. It's probably not even debatable. I still think he should have won. Like he should have won forward of the year to me, in my opinion. I think uh, you know maybe, maybe maybe because the arrows finished last, maybe he didn't get that uh, that respect in the award voting. Lucas Rumball had more breakdown steals than a team in the league this year. Like if Lucas Rumball was a team, he would finish. He wouldn't have been last in the league amongst breakdown steals. Can I can I play devil's advocate? Sure. So there was a lot of talk that he slow down near the end of the year so i would be interested to see his breakdown steals in terms of when they happened and when it is his most efficient games i agree with you i think that he should have been four of the year i'm just saying that the argument for maybe him not being picked for forward of the year is that he didn't have like his season unwinded a little bit slower than it started hot and like that, listen, it's not okay, do we, do we look at, why would why does that do we look at you know hey somebody scored scored a bunch of tries, but all like you know what I mean? All the tries were in like you know the that first is, six games. Honestly, it's like, though, that is an it's argument. Okay. That is an it's argument okay. that people make yeah. with MVPs, is you know, especially like in like again, we're gonna make a hockey comparison. That tons of times people say sure. they look at a player stats and, and they go, Well, you know what, it happened at the beginning of the year. You know, when no, teams are it still it still counts towards that. It's still counts. No. Okay. He, like, okay, so maybe maybe he got the majority of his breakdown steals did come at the start of the year, yes. But it was like he still was leading his team in tackles almost every game or a lot of the games, leading his team in ruck arrivals at almost every single game. He finished first in the league in both breakdown steals and defensive ruck arrivals. His work rate is unmatched throughout the entire league. If he didn't get like the like the number of steals awesome so let's say he slowed down halfway through the year let's give everybody eight games to catch him right only i think conradi came within half of rumble 
like no one's even close to him right that would be like saying like if you took like saying like a hockey player scored like 70 goals and your argument was well he only got like 10 in the last 25 games right but the next highest guy in the league only has 30 goals it's like it's still it's monumental difference in that stat like you need you need to take if you took you in order to catch rumble you need to combine the guys that finished second and third in his stat right like it's it's nuts like how, listen how i agree with you i i just wanted to fire up no Honestly, that's fine no, there's to... there's no lucas rumble is the best probably the best player in the league over the course of this entire year especially defensively like you kind of look at the like it's funny because you kind of look at the um like the teams of the week the three teams of the week right and you have the, and it's it's not really a surprise that it's like the most represented teams are la utah atlanta and new york right the four playoff teams get there right and it's like rumball was so good like look compare compare the toronto arrows to like even houston right like rumball so good rumble and lesage for that matter were so good that as a last place that on last place teams they got first team all-star knots like it's you want to okay so you want to use your argument then of take away a guy off his team Right, like take Lucas Rumble off the Toronto. Take it, yeah. Don't you don't want to think, think about, about that. that, right? Take him off. Like, there's, there's nothing. Take to even go further. Take Lucas Rumble off. Well, we Team did. Canada yeah. Right now, which I know, as I said earlier, has nothing to do with it, but it's he is ridiculously good. He's easily the MVP. He's mo- like his work. As I said, work rates unmatched. The most defensive ruck arrivals. The best. Like he dominated the breakdown. Even if he didn't get break, even if he didn't get a steal, right? He could he slowed the ball down. He made life miserable, right? So I mean, it's yeah, it's Lucas Rumble for me, MVP. Um, and then I'll 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 succumb to your rules and choose a forward, a different forward of a second best forward of the year later. All right, all right, Stu. Who did you pick as your Eastern Conference MVP? Uh, to the delight of Derek, I yeah. also chose Lucas Rumble. And seeing as Derek has explained all the reasons why Lucas is fantastic, right, I think Stu. we can end it there and move on to the next award. <laughs> all right. Well, according to the rules of the snake draft, you are up next now, uh, Stu, with your uh, your Western Conference MVP. So I think we're obviously have the arrows so we're pretty spoiled for choice of oh who's the best canadian players but when you look out west it's uh, slim pickings to say the least um but this has uh, the player that i've chosen um you know the championship winning team uh made a big impact um from time to time uh however time <laughs> however <Quartons>. i <laughs> say that the purpose of being an MVP is if you were to take them out, there would be a noticeable difference. Now, that's obviously very difficult with a championship winning team that includes, um, you know, a long list of Australian national players, players that have played in like Euros and Champions Cup and things like that. Um, but this guy did incredibly well throughout the year. Um so much so that he even earned a call-up to play for Canada. So my Western MVP is Corey Thomas. 
who right. also had like an incredible game against the arrows. Yes. Like, his, his his game against the arrows was incredible. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Tom, Thomas I thought did did incredibly well this year. I mean, I thought like you know, he kind of showed that he played, you know, in the back row and he played in the second row too. And you know, he, he was another guy that was he was incredible for LA in their breakdown, and he was a vital key part of their success. Um, snake draft. So I'm next here, Dan. Yeah, you're always I'm, second. I'm going with the guy that Stu seemed to dance around selecting for some reason, even though I, I do like Corey Thomas, but I do think that DTH Vandermerver is the obvious choice for the Western MVP here. And, you know, he just, he had 10 tries in the regular season. You know, he added a huge try in the MLR final as well. Um, I think the big thing to me that separates like DTH, as you said, Dan, I think you said earlier, he had a lot of like he had a, his fair share of like breakdown steals and stuff. And I think the one thing that really just, you know, it kind of shows like the things that because obviously DTH is an elite player. He was the leading like try scorer in the pro 14 for uh, over the course of an entire decade. And, you know, he had a lot of success over in Europe. He's been Canada's best player since he, you know, first put on the jersey. And I think it was like this season, I think really kind of showed like why he is that. Cause it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot to being a winger. That's more than just being able to finish tries, which DTH does at an exceptional rate and at an exceptionally high level. And, but I think like the thing that does separate him to me is just the stuff that he's willing to do off the ball constantly, you know, looking for work in the middle of the field, getting involved in the breakdown, you know, knowing when to kind of come off his wing to help out in defense. And obviously, you know, if a team is silly enough to attack DTH's wing, the tackling ability to kind of shut that down. And, you know, I think, you know, look, looking at the, um, the all MLR first team, I think like seeing DTH at 11 is, is a no brainer to me. And um, for yeah, Western MVP, it's gotta be, you know, it was fun before the season being like, all right, like, let's see what he's going to look like in, um, you know, in, in MLR, you know, he said he was going to retire from rugby Canada and like, you know, so tail end of the career, but um, man, he, he looked unreal. It was a, a, amazing to watch DTH play this year. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of looked around and I looked at Seattle and, you know, you kind of wish that Travis Larson had a little bit more time in Seattle. Oh man. If we were doing the MVP of the last three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Tra- Travis Larson. So uh, Travis Larson had a really strong season. Um, you know, I, I wish that uh, justice here. Sturu didn't have all his injuries that kind of, he kind of picked up in you know, the middle of the season. Uh, Cause you look at the, if we were looking at rugby Canada players of the year, or at least forwards of the year, um, Sears Duru played really well in those European test matches. Um, and he just, he's got like f- over 50 caps and the guy's not even t- like, I'm pretty sure he's not 25 yet. Like that's insane. Um, so I, I kind of thought about that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you can't ignore what DTH did this year. I mean, I compared him to uh, Bjorn Basson, who was the kind of the closest statistically to him in terms of tries and in just the same position. I mean, he had four more turnovers in the season. He had more uh, carrying meters. Um, they they shared the 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 they shared the same amount of line breaks, but he had more offloads, um, more meters kicked. Um, 
and more tackles. Like DTH was just an animal. Uh, so I got to go DTH as well. I, I, uh, I can't really argue anywhere else. Um, okay. So back of the year. So the argument for me when it comes to the back of the year is there's really like a question. Can we divide yes. up DTH's hairstyles as different no, players? No, to select you cannot. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, when it comes to, uh, back of the year, it's, this is a tricky one because I really think it's, it's a, a two horse race. I mean, I went, ended up going with bed massage because I think that, he just had such a strong all-around season. The amount of line breaks he had, the tackling, you know, he's been he's been sought out, you know, in the in the shortened 2020 season, he was part of the center pairing that was one of the, the best defensively. But this year he really shone as a offensive leader for the arrows, making things happening, being kind of that, you know, uh, uh other distributor within the uh and within the arrows back line. Um and when they were on fire, when they when that backline clicked, it was mostly because of you know pen massage and some of the things he was able to do. And then he leaves the team and he goes and he plays incredibly well for Canada. I know that this is this is MLR awards, but to me, yeah, but, uh, DTH had it had an incredible year for the Guillotines. But when you look at the all around package, Ben Lesage just did did a lot he did so much for them and and it's a shame that uh the arrows didn't get to go any further because i would have loved to watch ben lesage uh, some more derek i gotta say i wholeheartedly agree um to be honest i was probably gonna pick uh, i thought this debate of the back of the year for a canadian is is to me it's clearly between ben lesage and dth vanderberger and since you guys you know, I kind of instituted the, I wasn't really sure who I was going to pick and I was going to kind of listen to both of you talk, but then mm -hmm. um, you dropped this rule on me that I can't pick the same player twice. So the decision is made for itself because DTH is clearly the Western conference MVP, which makes Ben Lesage clearly the, the back of the year. And for all the, all the same reasons, Dan, I think you said it's like, I think he's probably one of one of, if not the best defensive center in the league, you company that with, you know, like he got had five tries this year. He was, you know, he was scorching teams. The amount of line breaks was unreal. But the fact that you can accompany that and like, you know, see the same guy, like he can make a line break at one end, race back and make a try saving tackle at the other end or make that try saving tackle and then turn it around and create a huge line break and just flip the field by himself. And, you know, he's, he's an absolutely incredible player. And, you know, it, it kind of takes me back to like, when we recorded that podcast with DTH before the season started and DTH said that like Ben Lesage might be too good for this league. Um, right. Which is, you know, you can debate whether or not you think he's too good for the league or whatever. I always thought it was an interesting comment and stuff. And like, yeah, he, he dominated it this year and, you know, it, it was a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, he, I think he's going to be one of those, those big major bright spots for rugby Canada as we continue going forward too. So, to the surprise of no one, yeah. I also picked Ben Lesage. This is, the easy, this is probably yeah. the easiest yeah. one, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do also want to say that, um, so for the sake of not turning us into the Ben Lesage devotion hour, is um, I also wanted to mention uh, Pat Parfrey, 
as well. I think he had, um, you know, obviously being a utility back is um, can be difficult because you just slotted into the position you needed yeah. and you can be like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Um, when he was uh, placed in the game against Seattle, I thought he had basically one of the performances of the season in that game. Um, well, he even won man of the match. So um, clearly everyone else saw that <laughs> as well. Um, and I, I actually have, I don't know if this is a hot take or, but I feel like Giuseppe de Trois got kind of done dirty by like, I think that he was, he suffered from the arrows not playing well and he was pulled out in favor of Parfrey and then never really got a chance again because they wanted to stick with that chemistry even after the chemistry kind of went away with him and Lesage. And then they both went on international duty and then they're like, all right, Giuseppe, there's the the keys again to, to the, the well, 12 There's also, also Spencer Jones mixed in there too. Spencer Jones as well. That's yeah, true. Like, but and he, he I, I just a, feel like he had an unreal season and would have earned his first cap. Yeah, if it wasn't for the unfortunate injury. Unfortunate injury. I just feel like, yeah, like uh, Giuseppe, just got kind of pushed can, aside because of a poor start of a team. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I can see where you're coming from. And as, as soon as Giuseppe had the captain's armband on, you could see it in the f- last few games. He came into his own. He, Whether it was his intention or not, he said, like, I am here and I deserve to be here. Obviously, he was captain, so <laughs> even, the, even the staff knew that he deserved to be there. He was... But, I mean... Obviously, we all knew that when whenever Canada are going to play, they're going to go to the Arrows, take all the main starters, and then be like, see you guys. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think if Giuseppe had more game time, he could definitely be in this conversation. But it is the case of, you know, they have to, they use um, Pat, they use Spencer. And, you know, if we're basing this on like the latter half of the season, like absolutely, he's in that conversation. But you're right; he just didn't have the game time there. And you know, maybe and maybe now because of his efforts at the end of this season, maybe they'll look at him absolutely a little bit more yeah. seriously. That's fair. All right, Stu, uh, your forward of the year. Okay. Well, obviously, I've chosen Miss Rumble as MVP, so I can't pick yeah. him again. Welcome to the. This, uh, this is the second best forward of the year award. Yes. This Except is. for Dan's case, when it's going to be actual forward of the year because he has to pick a Rumble now. Maybe you don't know who I'm going to pick. Yeah. Um. So I am going to uh, pick uh, a Canadian, obviously. Oh. Um, and he he um, you know, shared uh. Shared the pitch with Toronto. So it's a guy from Rugby ATL. It is um, because that's it. We we wax lyrical about the Arrows and how good we know they are. Um, And obviously the season, you know, results just didn't go their way and it was unfortunate. But a team that did have results go their way that um, came about, made it all the way to the final. You have to have um, good temperament, good leadership. And so my pick for forward of the year, or to be more exact, second best forward of the yeah. year, is um, Captain Canuck, uh, Mr. Matt Heaton. Listen, 
Stu, I don't know why you're giving me attitude because you're the one who wrote this script and put this rule into play. <laughs> so you know what? Don't give me uh, attitude because you're the one who made this rule. I Eric. know. I know. No, I we're... know I made this rule and I'm glad I made this rule All because right, then we fine. don't just have spread Lucas Rumble as back of the year. Yeah, exactly. Like we got to spread the love. All right, Derek, who are you picking for forward of the year? Second best forward of the year is... Well, I just... Honestly, you know what? It's just I just want to make sure Billy Meeks knows that he's the second best player of the year too. <laughs> um, that's fine. Second best forward of the year. Um, I agree with Stu. Um, I think it's it's Matt Heaton. I think he was, you know, he, he did excellent in in the um, excellent in the breakdown, excellent, you know, tackling, excellent in defense. Uh, you know, obviously the captain of rugby ATL led them all the way to the MLR final. The, you know, that game against LA in Atlanta is like that. That's the only tape of Matt Heaton. You probably need to watch to give him this award as the second best back of the yeah. year. Cause there's better tape of Lucas Rumball, but whatever. Um, it's yeah. So I, I think, yeah, man, I don't know. I can't, I can't really add anything that's doing and already say Matt Heaton easily. Um, it's a, yeah. uh, you know, when you really go through Canada, man, we got some sick, open side flankers yeah so um i yeah i i Dan's about to give out the actual forward of the year award yeah i so here's the thing is i flip-flopped actually between larson and and rumball and mm. and it, for me when it comes down to it is the mvp is very much a leadership impact award and when i think of the forward in the back of the year that's where i kind of pick the technical like who is the most technically sound? Well, now, now I'm just going to get upset that you don't think Lucas Rumble is a good captain. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> I'm going to just shut Derek's this best exercise: off. jumping to conclusions. Yeah. No. <laughs> listen, Lucas Rumble was, you know, I remember half, you know, when when the arrows kind of ringed off a couple of wins. Um, the rugby wrap up talked about maybe they needed to make an award for Lucas Rumball because of how incredible his season was. And it continued even after he lost his, his Samson hair and, you know, still performed well, went off, went off to overseas with Canada performed well. Um, So my four of the years, Lucas Rumball for all the reasons I just said, and also all the things that Derek and Stu have already mentioned. Okay. um, The next award is rookie of the year. There were a lot of really interesting rookies uh, that kind of came in this year. Um, I'm going to pick a player who is very versatile, uh, played, at, you know, a couple positions. I wish that maybe he would have gotten a, a look at maybe the eight position. Um, but uh, Mason Flesh was really exciting this year. Really exciting this year. Um, he just looks like a frigging gazelle running around and and like that that's kind of his lock lock body um but i enjoyed seeing what he could do with ball in hand and you know he had a couple breakdown steals he had a you know he was he was a threat defensively and offensively offensively in the line out um i see him having a a good future with the arrows if he decides to stick with them and also canada I mean, the kids he's you know young he's just a young little guy 10 appearances um, oh man, I can't say much more about Mason Flash. I really enjoyed what I saw from him this year. Um, and I'd like to see more. 
I, I want to see him play number eight near the end of the season just to see what maybe what the arrows got from him. But uh, Derek, who did you have as your uh, rookie of the year? I'm actually, I'm curious to see what Stu says first. All right. No, job. Derek. No. <laughs> oh, all right. You're going to make me follow the order. All right. Well, fine. Lame. Um, man, I, I think, yeah, I agree, man. I was, I kind of, I went through the teams and kind of wrote down all the rookies and like, there, there's a lot of really talented players that, you know, made their debuts and, you know, oh, there's a lot of guys, some guys got a lot more playing time than others, but, you know, I think to me, I was kind of looking at it. I think as you know, what I'm just, Hmm. I'm still kind of like debating about who I actually want to pick here. Um, Dan said flesh. So now, I now I get it. Now yeah, exactly. I get why That's why I wanted to hear Stu. Um, you know what though? I'm going to, I'm going to continue my theme of, we got some sick open side flankers. Um, and I'm going to go to Michael Smith of the San Diego Legion. Um, still remember man, when Smith made his debut, he came on and had a breakdown steal in like six seconds. And I was like, <laughs> welcome to the league. That's a good way to set the tone. And, you know, he he continued it through throughout the entire year. You know, he had you know, his eight games played. He had 54 tackles, only missed five, you know, got to 130 rocks in just his eight games to make gain 198 meters with ball in hand. He had some really nice carries. Um, he's yeah. excellent around the breakdown, man. And he's like, he's going to soak in so much. He oh. spent a whole season with Sam Wuchin. And one of the most Sam Wuchang, Chris Robshaw. He goes over. I to mean, England. Chris Robshaw, Mister Mister Player Coach, basically with his injuries this year. Yeah, and then he goes over to the UK with Canada, and you give give him Lucas Rumball. Yeah, and, um, and like, was Matt Heaton with them, or did he stay home? Um, you know what? I'm actually not sure. To be honest with you, but anyways, I'm not sure. But he's been, he's at the high performance cam. Matt Heaton's kicking around. Kyle Bailey, yeah. like, oh he's man, he's been like, able there's, to there's pick so many. some, so some many. brains. Um. Smith, like kind of like you said, it's like he's one of those guys that I think before the season started, you looked at San Diego's roster and saw their back row, and you're like, wow, that is deep, right? And it's you know, who we knows just how much deep anywhere else? <laughs> yeah, it's like who knows? <laughs> oh, there you go. Who and I'm like, well, who knows how much playing time he's gonna get? But then you know, injuries, injuries oh, yeah. happen, right? And he got into the lineup and he took full, full advantage of it. I think he did officially win too he actually won san diego's rookie of the year award like yeah. the award that san diego gives out themselves um so congrats to him on that i yeah i i, I think he was i think he was absolutely brilliant this year and um i can't wait to see see more of them like give them uh i know if rob shaw and like wooching and you know everybody that's in that crazy stacked back row is all healthy next year you know, it, it's, you know, maybe it's, maybe he's coming off the bench a little bit more than not, but um, I think you can even tell like San Diego's record with him in the lineup is better. Um, so, I mean, I think their second half when Smith started playing games regularly, they looked a lot better. As I mean, Wuching's, Wuching's leaving now. Right. So yeah. Oh, opens sure. up yeah spot, you know, right? I totally so. forgot about that. Excellent point there, Dan. Yeah. So there, you know, it's a chance, chance for him to step up if he sticks around with San Diego. I think obviously he was able to, you know, he used his time with the team. He turned that into, you know, his first caps for Canada. Right. Um, you know, and like, you know, put, puts him on his performance, put him on the radar. And um, I, I think, I think he was just excellent this year. So yeah, we got some sick open side flankers 
And just think um, about like back row players and like Canadian back row players in MLR. You know, dude, our got, back rows, uh, the Canada's back row is nasty. Yeah, you got, you theory. know, you got flesh. Yeah. You got, you know, you got a couple injured guys like Wainwright and um, Nikai Penny out in Seattle. Like, yeah. And Wait, if, I find if, tra- if Travis Larson picks up where he left off, you know, last season, like he could be in the mix for for the next. You know, not yeah. probably not these upcoming test matches but like you never know like he he played so well near the end of the year i find i find marcello wainwright to be quite underrated and i don't know if that's just because like the team he plays for has a pretty stacked back row uh but he's also been hurt a lot so i mean the, 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 the work season, that he put but... in the work that he put in in 2019 while yeah no he, so many I, guys oh, man, were he away. was outstanding in 2019 yeah because but, uh, but again though that was um like the second half of that season, that was a uh, rumble that was injured for like a lot of the second half of that season too. Right. And that allowed yeah. Wainwright to get a ton of playing time. I do, I do like him, man. And I think he's got a, a future and stuff too, obviously not a rookie. So not really here, but I, um, but no, that was a team, you know, gen- generalization of like some back row stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah like, even there is some depth there. I'm curious to see who Stu says now. And then I might, I might chuck in some honorable mentions. Uh, I just like all our listeners and viewers to know that uh, Derek has been copying my notes because I had Michael Smith down as rookie ah, of the year so this is before Derek did. Um, but yeah, I mean, can, I mean, I remember listening to the um, Coey Hitchborn episode of this podcast talking about uh, Michael Smith basically waiting to see if he could get the visa to play in San Diego, then playing behind you know Sam Wuching and Chris Robshaw. And then Chris Robshaw plays his first game after um, being uh, after the old incident with the Barbarians um, punishment ran out. And what happens? He uh, gets his shoulder dislocated or broken, or basically, and he's ruled out for a few games. Upsteps mm-hmm. Michael Smith, fantastic performances as mentioned, and yeah, and when you perform that well, you uh, get called up to play for the national team. So. Massive congratulations to uh, Michael Smith. There are, and uh, like I say, there are like a lot of rookies of the year, but unfortunately, they're not Canadian. So I've I think them. we. The one thing is like Stu, if you went first and you said Michael Smith, which I do agree with, but for the sake of saying someone different, my first one was going to be Quinn Nawadi, and I feel like. We we have to mention him. I feel like that would just be yeah, he had, he had a massive regret well. as a podcast. Ross Brody, yeah. Jason yeah. Higgins, like yeah, they they kind of, of lots yeah lots of guys. There there are a lot of really there's a lot of really guys. good guys. Yeah, the rookie yeah. class. I mean, uh, Lockie Kratz, great year yeah. too. Um, to you know, to me, I just thought um, Adrian Wadden as well. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. and you know guys. what, guys? I let's let's get into uh, the spotlight. Oh, award. I gotta finish my Nawadi thing because I know, but you've mentioned a couple guys that I want to talk about in the spotlight award. I, I know, but we're not going to talk about. I don't think we're going to talk about Nawadi in this section. Though. You can talk about Nawadi in this section, but no, uh, why would I want to see more of him? He played almost every game. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't want to. You want to see him for like the last ten minutes against uh, ATL. I don't. In the, I just uh, think I, I yeah. think Nawadi showed a lot. Uh, like obviously great center showed some diversity by kind of adapting to the wing a little bit this year as well. Big role in Rooney's defense. I thought he just had an unreal. So shout out to him yeah. because we did not mention him as the rookie of the year. And I feel sad about that now. 
Yeah, we favored the, the forwards this time. All right, so this spotlight award is is something that, that I've been thinking about a lot because there were a lot of players in 2021 that we just either have been injury or coaching decisions. We didn't get to see a whole lot of. So the spotlight award is going to go to someone who we wish we could have seen more of in 2021, and hopefully we can see them in 2022 and future seasons. So, Stu, you are up first. Who do you want to see who wish who do you wish you could have seen more of and hope you see in the future? So I have two picks, but they're from the same state. So um so I think one is um down to injury, and it's probably like the guy that I wish I'd seen more of. Um and that is over in Austin. He was doing that a great job. Um you could tell him from his blue from his scrum cap. You know, he even got a try in this season as well. And then, of course, um, injury eliminated him from representing Canada. Um, I, yeah, you know, I don't know if he's um, able enough to play again at the moment, especially at test level, if he'd be able to make it for the um, World Cup qualification matches. But I feel as though, um, yeah, Mo Abdelmonam, um, I, I know it was, he did play a lot of games, but obviously as soon as he got injured, his season was over. So I think from a like romanticist kind of point of view is that I wish I'd see, I wish I'd been able to see him play enough games that he would have been able to be called up and would have played uh, for Canada in like the national team. But you know these things happen, and I'm hoping in uh, 2022 get to see more of him. Uh, down in Austin and as a result you know good things come to him so you know that's uh that's my pick and you know my other choice would have been um Crosby Stewart um but I think that's also a case of you have five scrum halves on that team one of which is the co-captain if you're not already like an international player you're not really going to be um the first pick but you know, we can always hope for next year and see how things turn around. Okay, Derek, who did you have as your spotlight award? I I really like uh, Stu's choice of uh, of Abdelmanum there. I thought, yeah, it's you know, I think he's been one of those guys that's like he just seems to be projecting upwards constantly. And it was uh, he was playing playing very well for Austin to start the year, and then you know, in the injury just ended the season prematurely. Um, to me, I think there, there's a couple guys I went, um, with mostly, I guess, injury based and it was just, um, I think obviously like it would have been cool to see Hassler play a game. Um, that would have been just, you know, it's it broken, broken wrist season ending injury before the season even started. So that's super unfortunate. I think, um, but I think the guy that I, I I'm excited for, and it was like, I think we only really got a taste of. Um, would be Siaki Vikilani. I think, you know, he's, he seems to me, it's like whenever you talk to coaches within rugby Canada, like he's one of those players that everybody just seems really, really excited about. And uh, even the arrows seemed really excited about him. And it was just, you know, he had that injury to start the season, didn't really get into the second half, you know, played a couple games, was quickly off to England uh, or to the UK to, uh, you know, play in the uh, the internationals there and um 
you know, it would, he only got in, in a couple MLR games. He had battled injuries through the course of the year. Uh, but every, every, the way everybody talks about him, man, it's just like, everybody seems incredibly excited and, you know, just like his ball carrying ability is amazing. Um, you know, he's good at, uh, good at the breakdown, good, uh, you know, but I think that that ball carrying ability is going to be something that apparently he just offloads like nothing you've ever seen. So, um, I, I'm, I'm still excited for that. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to watching that this year or, you know, at the, the international, the world cup qualifiers, if he makes that squad, if he's healthy enough to make that squad again. Um, so, I mean, like Vicky Lonnie, just cause he did miss a decent, a significant portion of the season due to injury. But I think, he, I think even in the time that he did play, he showed a, a little bit of that, that bright spark um, for like, you know, yeah. what we could see out of him in the future. So I, I'm excited to see, to see more of what he can do. You know, we've talked about on this show about player management and how Rugby Canada has kind of mismanaged how players are used and how they decided to use them. And I think that they really did a disservice to Vicky Lani. And, and it's it's a really weird thing to say that I think that they made the wrong choice by calling him up or having him, you know, be a part of the camp. But I think that he would have, developmentally wise, done better and this is a hindsight thing because I know that we they were short on eights, but Corey Thomas played pretty well at eight for LA in two playoff games. Like he played very well. I just think that Vicky Lonnie might have served himself personally better playing eight for the arrows for the the two two extra games that he would have had at the MLR level. Like how many games did he get into before he was shipped off? with rugby Canada two, three, two. I think just two. Two's yeah. Just two. That's two matches where he looked, he made a lot of young nervous mistakes. And There's I just feel, programs. and I, I just feel like that, that was a, and a, who knows? And again, this is a, this is a, you know, maybe well, he goes into those, those uh, qualifier matches and I eat crow and he's fine. You know, I just well, feel like when we talk about player management and how it's rugby Canada has lacked in that, maybe sometimes not going up to the national team and getting, having to play against Wales and, and, uh, you know, uh, Wayne, Aaron Wainwright from Wales and then go and have to go play. Um, who was the eight man for um, Dombrandt? Have to go play against Alex Dombrandt of England. You know, like I just felt like it just didn't serve him developmentally. I think, well, I think, I think, I think as we talked about, with the squad, it was like what uh, there wasn't a whole lot of eight options for Canada, so it ended up being Vicky Lani. But I think what you're kind of touching at there is is like that's exactly why I want to see more of him though. So like, he got in the two MLR games, um, and then yeah, he looked like yeah he's coming off an injury playing his first pro game. So I mean, you take what you can there, and then yeah, he went over to England and played against two extremely talented eight men over there too right but like wait um, which is a perfect example he he was a flanker and I, I don't know how many test matches he's played as an eight for wales i know that they're trying to convert him there there are a ton of examples of yeah, of flankers that have converted to eight man and i don't mm-hmm. know why with the plethora of loose forwards that canada has they couldn't pick a more experienced eh, player i don't know and I, I get you don't have the <laughs> Derek, you specifically don't have the answers. Do you want to go like, revisit all the episodes where no. we're like, oh, rugby no, no, Canada? No, I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, 
my spotlight lord is almost i almost want to just hang it over uh houston as a team because they had a lot of canadians that i wish i could have seen more of you got liam murray and uh nick hiltebrand barely starting barely playing and they, they i started a, played a lot more in the second half of the season in the second half of the season for sure but like I just wish I got to see more, especially if Hilton Brand. I mean, Murray got to go up with Canada. Hilton Brand was kind of just like, like left alone in 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 Houston. It looked like he was. Uh, who, which one? The, Rose is that the the girl from Titanic? Yes, yeah. Rose okay. is the is the girl. Liam Murray is Jack, and Nick unfortunately is is Rose being left on the on the 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 sinking. Uh, I guess it was the the door. Was say, you do you do realize Rose is the one that survived? No, I know. Titanic, right? I think you're. I'm trying to mix up my analogies. Which one dies by staying Jack, with Houston Jack or survives? Because Rose is on like yeah. the door. Or maybe maybe in this situation, then Nick is Jack because he had to. Stay I feel with like you Houston. just need to go rewatch the Titanic before you make yeah, this analogy. That's okay. That's not on my to do list. But anyways, uh, another guy on that team. Honestly, I would, and this is a weird thing because he actually started a lot of games, but like Robbie Povey. I want to see more of him as an actual 10 or an actual 15 because their situation with, with Sean Windsor playing at 12, he was the fly half. <laughs> like they weren't, they weren't messing anybody up. This wasn't an Owen Farrell situation with, you know, George Ford. Uh, they knew that most of the plays were either going, it was going to be a, a pass from Povey to Windsor and Windsor was going to make the play or, he was first receiver. Like poor Robbie Povey did not get to play a natural position. They should have just put him at 12. That would have made way more sense because mm. that's basically how they played him. So I want to see Robbie Povey uh, kind of go into more of a natural, either 15 or 10, depending on how they want to play with him. If he's back with Houston, who knows where, what, what's going to happen. So, there. I think so you're he, giving this award to every Canadian on the Houston Sabercats. Well, you know what? You, yeah, sure. I'll give it to the Houston. <laughs> all right, so just just no, type in Houston, no Nick Hilton Brand in, in in all 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 seriousness. I think Hilton Brand has has got a lot of really strong talent near the end of the year. He had some strong games. Yeah. Lucas, I want to see more of him. Lucas Albornoz had a pretty good season for them too, and he turned that into a some a Canada appearance at the end of the year too. Yeah. All right, guys. So we are going to do our match of the year. So this one, this one, we're kind of breaking the rules of Canadian players only because. Really, at the end of the day, it's whatever match you want to have. And, you know, it's funny. Derek and I kind of did this a few weeks ago. We kind of talked about what we thought was our match of the year. Um, Are you sticking with it, though? No, actually. I, I've decided to change it because I think this is a more of a personal choice. Just uh, for reference, if someone, if no, you didn't listen to that episode, we uh, were talking about the uh, L.A. Atlanta game in L.A. The regular yeah, season one. The regular season one. Um, I think this is a more personal choice because the matches between these two teams have always been really interesting. It's it's almost kind of one team always kind of throttles or has a strong game against the other. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it went the Toronto Arrows way. Uh, I think my match of the year was the Toronto Arrows versus the Seattle Seawolves. Um, arguably the Arrows' best game of the season. Um, it was already kind of mentioned with Pat Parfrey, his definitely his best game of the season. The arrows were just firing on all cylinders. Everything they did worked. And it was also just a fun game. Cause it was like eight 30 in the morning. And, you know, we had, um, 
we had just a it was just a wacky kind of game. There were so many clips from the referee making so many chirps, and Cole Keith trying to avoid any penalty possible. Um, it was just a fun match to watch, and you know there are other ones. You know the Fire and Ice Cup was was a real fun match. I almost picked that one, but I think that's my Toronto versus Seattle was my pick. Derek. Um, yeah, I think to be honest, I I'm changing mine too. From what I said, I'm only changing it because there was matches that have been played since then. And I am going to, I'm just going to go with the, uh, the MLR final LA versus Atlanta. And, you know, I think obviously in the, uh, the past couple of weeks and stuff, we've talked about the actual game itself, obviously, which was a very, which was an entertaining game. But I think the thing that kind of sets this apart to me, I think was just the spectacle of it all. Um, being at the Coliseum, kind of seeing like, you know, people like, I guess, the presentation around the game, I think is almost in, in a way like the most professional the league has ever looked in a way of like, just like the production and everything of the game. Um, it was a great way to have it kind of accumulate, um, you know, an incredible season to the end. Um, yeah, like I said, seeing the game played at the Coliseum, the high quality production value that the broadcast was, knowing that that was broadcasted on CBS and on TSN across two countries and stuff, that was really cool. And then I also think in this game, to bring it back to like the Canadian aspect of it, DTH obviously, you know, scored a try in the game. Corey Thomas had a brilliant game too. Matt Heaton was great. Connor Keyes was arguably Atlanta's one of Atlanta's best players in the opening half before he, he was taken off too. Was on fire. He was amazing. I think they took him off too early. I think he should have stayed on a little bit more. But you know, so it's like the Canadians all played well. The from the league perspective, it just it looked great. The everything down to like you know the trophy presentation at the end. Um, the you know all. From it's what it sounds like listening to some other podcasts and stuff. Apparently, the halftime show was done by Adam Ash, and apparently that was insanely fun. <laughs> um, so uh so yeah, so you mix in Adam Ash and Steve Aoki. Apparently, it's a very good time there. Um, so it's um yeah, so I think I think it looked cool. They they strategic I know, like I think at the beginning of the year, I think we were all kind of skeptical on playing in an 80,000 seat stadium. And I mean, it's still obviously they had 7,500 people there. So it's obviously nowhere near full, but um, they managed to make it look good on TV, which I think counts for something. And um, it, it's, it's an insanely, at the end of the day, it's a really cool venue to be playing rugby in. So it's so funny that like one of the highest attended matches in MLR history looks like it barely made a dent in the stadium. Cause it did barely make a dent. Cause they played, I know, the, it's, which it's, is still like, I suppose that is still like a criticism of it if it's worth it to play it in that arena. But I think like for that being the MLR final and the game that you're showing on national TV and stuff, the LA Coliseum, the things that they can do with like the camera angles, the broadcast angles where like the commentary team can be the production that can surround that, you know, just the way the stadium's set up. It's even like, even for things like TMO, which I mean, I've had my opinions on, I don't necessarily think it should be used in the playoffs. if It's not used in the regular season. But it's like a stadium like that is definitely helpful if you're going to move to having TMO all the time. And yeah, I, I don't the spectacle of it all. Not so much. I think like I still think I think there was 
maybe better actual games if you isolated just the rugby element of it. But the all-encompassing event, I think I got to give it to the MLR final. Okay. Still, who? what was your match of the year? So I'm going to say that Toronto versus Seattle, obviously uh, Pat Parfrey's uh, highlight of the season, but the Arrows' second best game, and I'd say the best game, is New York versus Toronto, the match mm. inc- just uh, succeeding it. Because um, I've always said this, thing, when it's a blowout game, it's, you know, it's okay if it's your team that's on the uh, winning end of that blowout, but on the other side, maybe not so much. And um, But for Rooney versus Toronto, it wasn't as clear-cut. It wasn't a case of scoring 30 plus points, conceding a try and then scoring another 15 to 20 points to finish out. It was um, carefully calculated. It was, you know, we got to see Montero um, do what he does best, which is run in for tries, which, uh, you know, never going to be upset about seeing those. Um, And it just seemed, and I think you could say that, okay, um, Seattle obviously didn't have the best season. They finished. Uh, so Houston finished bottom of the standing, and then it was Seattle, and then by a distance it was Toronto. Um, so you could say that Seattle, not the team they were from 2018 or 2019, but New York, on the other hand, they're the team that made the Eastern Conference final, and yet. Toronto, who's had all these um, you know, difficulties being um, relocated, uh, so on and so forth, and they're able to ship more than 50 points past them. Mm. So that, that was the indication, and it should be the indication to every team in MLR, that if you think that you can judge the arrows by this season, this is the game to prove you wrong. This is the game to say... This will happen to you if you don't take it seriously. I think for my pick, I, I might have a little bit of recency bias because I I, I was watching the uh, 2019 final just for, for something to watch while I did did some dishes and I, I worked out. And they constantly talked about how Seattle throttled the arrows in the semifinal and stuff like that. And just had this like, like burning rage inside because I remember that game and how many times poor Sam Malcolm got hit. And so I'm like, I've, I've had it. I'm going on this podcast to dig the knife in. I was going to say, were we supposed to pick an Arrows game for this? Nope. No. No. Oh, no. Okay. It, it was your choice. It just happened. Oh, okay. Also, um, okay. We, I think the uh, the Coach of the Year award, Chris Silverthorne. Oh, yeah. Chris easy. Silverthorne. Yeah. Fairly yeah, easy. Chris Silverthorne. Slam dunk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, guys, well, let's move on and, and finish up. Uh, we've got some MLR news to talk about and also just other rugby news. Um, San, Diego, Andy, San Diego Legion have announced former All Black Danny Lee as the new Legion head coach and director of rugby. Um, I guess the co-coach experiment didn't work. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with those two coaches. I mean... Are they going to stick with San Diego now that he's not only the head coach, but also director of rugby means he's got a lot more power in deciding things. Um, Cause correct me if I'm wrong, director of rugby, that's also like the GM position, correct? 
Uh, it, that d- depends yeah. on which team you play for. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, so he's got a lot more deciding power. Uh, it's interesting, you know. Uh, uh, Chris Silverthorne's got... official title, I think, is actually director director of rugby, of rugby. and then Winokur's GM. And GM. Little... It's a different they dynamic. Need a, they need to. Uh, they need to. They need to. Um, what's everyone needs to have the same standardized. Thank you, Stu. They need to standardize this because it's too damn confusing. Um, yeah, he, Danny Lee is an interesting uh, prospect in terms of coaching. Minor ten experience, top league experience. I mean, he's a former All Black for crying out loud. I know a lot of people are gonna throw their fists in the air about another foreign coach coming to our shores to take another job from a good old American coach. Yeah, but like, guys, if we want our domestic coaches to get better, we need like coaching is one of the hardest positions to adapt because if you think about it, there are twenty three positions for players. In terms of a head coach, there's one. And then you can add, you can sprinkle in all the assistant coaches. That's still like a handful, maybe depending on the MLR team, right? So coaching positions are hard to come by. So you want to make sure you have a experienced hand or at least someone with a different view than Californian rugby, Texas rugby, East Coast rugby to, to give you a perspective of what is out there in the world? What are, how is rugby changing outside of the United States and MLR? So I think this is a good coaching decision. I don't really know if there's any more to say about that. Guys, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they divide up Test and Murray. Uh, you know, maybe they just kind of go back to coaching positionally or attack or there's or some vacancies sort of within like MLR. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, a certain team in Dallas is currently uh, without Dallas, a head coach. So. Yeah, Dallas, uh, Boston, or New England. Yeah, yeah, a couple teams. A couple teams are going to need coaches. I mean, it's uh, you know, for, for if you're San Diego, though, I think you know you're a team that, and I mean, you can maybe kind of weigh the COVID impact and them having to play in Vegas and you know not necessarily being at home like properly at home for parts of the year as well. Um, maybe you can weigh how much of an impact that had, but it's like, I think, you know, San Diego too, right? Like you're a team that, you know, you had championship aspirations before the season started and you didn't make the playoffs. Right. So I don't think anyone's like, I don't think I'm surprised to see that they're making a coaching yeah, change. For sure. Um, they did not say what's going to happen to test and Murray though. So, um, you know, maybe they stay on, maybe they don't not really too sure, but I think um, there's going to be a couple of teams, especially in the Western Conference, that are going to be making a lot of changes this yeah, well, offseason. Yeah. And I think San Diego is one of them. Yeah, exactly. And we still got to figure out um, like I mean, because Dallas has Dallas named a new coach after uh, Clarkie headed up to uh no, that's what no, Stu yeah, was saying Seattle. that they, yeah. they still need somebody. So there's there's still a lot there. Okay, guys. Well, uh other piece of news in the rugby world. Uh this is a really interesting um piece of information that's kind of come out. Curry Hitchborn came on our show and talked about the deficiencies in uh, not only just Canadian rugby, but specifically BC rugby because and that's his bread and butter. Um, you know, that's that's his community. That's what he he works in. Um, and he talked about how he wanted to create a high performance competition, and by God, he's done it. The beautiful bastards done it. Uh, and you know what? It is a shame that they're not calling it the Curry Cup. You know, I'm sure it tongue in cheek, they can make it happen. <laughs> it's unofficially going to be called the Curry Cup. And no one can tell me differently. 
Can you um, can you fire cop file copyright claims cross cross country like that? Cross continent. Con- it's cross continent. Con- yeah, I don't know. I'm I mean, I don't... yeah, that's <laughs> if it's not the official title and it's just a nickname. What are they going to do? They're going to file a copyright claim against a nickname. Just don't put it on a banner and you're fine. <laughs> Uh, it, does yeah. say, it does say, though, in uh, the article that appeared on BC Rugby News, though, that they don't actually have a name for it yet. So Yeah, it's the BC's high-performance competition. That's what they're going to call it. The uh, the BCHC. BCHPC. We, we need to work on a name. We need to work on it. Anyways, in the article, guys, uh, you know, all you listeners, please go to BC Rugby and listen. And, and we don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this, but um, Curry lays it out. You know, he wants this to be, there is a void, you know, players are aspiring to play at a higher level or wanting to play in MLR. Um, this league, this league is basically a level of play promises to be strong. It's slotted into a time frame to become an MLR preseason and attract players from across North America who are looking to get scouted by MLR. If you look at like the North Vancouver team, that's already been, uh, so that's already kind of started announcing their, um, their team. East they've Vancouver. got, was it East Vancouver? East Van, yeah. East Vancouver. They've already started naming teams, uh, our players, MLR, um, Pacific pride, university it's been a really good group of players i mean albornes from from the canada national team um you know it's it's going to be a really really fun uh and it's going to be streamed on facebook so uh that's going to be a really exciting thing Does to it watch from this on fall. facebook I yeah it was... says um has there been any plans to stream uh I believe every game will be streamed as a key piece of managing future expectations, as well as honoring some of the current and future sponsorship initiatives. So, oh, so it doesn't say where it's going to be streamed. No. It just says it's going to be streamed. And I think this is great because, again, if I'm a young guy, like I'm going to throw names, Siaki Vikilani, I know I didn't have the most fruitful MLR season. I know I'm probably going to be involved with with Canada once my time with Canada is done with the qualifiers maybe play a couple games in this this league keep myself fresh so that way i can go into the mlr season looking fresh as a daisy you know that's just as an example like i think this is a really great idea for canadian rugby and the right people need to be throwing their weight towards this because it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of people honestly i think the thing that does excite me the most and even though they, it is uh, maybe a little bit few on details at the moment, but the fact that Curry's saying that every game is going to be streamed to me is exciting. Um, just because I think, you know, obviously professional rugby in North America is still very new, obviously. And I think, you know, one of those things is like, now we're coming up to the draft and I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit fully that this is like a blind spot to me. I'm looking at the, the draft, like list, the players that have declared and, like I don't really know any of them, right? So, in, in saying that, it's like I think I don't really know a whole lot about any of them, and I'm not sure if I've seen a whole lot of them even play. And I think one of the things that does excite me about this is it's like you know there is like going to be you know UBC, UVic are going to be in this, 
right? So it's like you do have some of those those teams. And I think if you find like a way to start streaming games and stuff, because I I personally didn't didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to like university and collegiate rugby, you know, just right before the MLR. But now that the MLR is happening, and now that there's a draft, my interest in these prospects and stuff has peaked a lot, right? And I know. I know like this obviously isn't necessarily tied to all, like this is in all youth sports and stuff, but it's like, if UBC is playing in this league, then it's like those guys could be draft draft eligible. And I want to kind of watch and see what them play and stuff also. And then obviously again, too, for like those, those diamond in the rough guys that you might just find playing in this competition as well, that, you know, aren't necessarily going to be draft eligible, but I think, I think that's a, you know, a big positive, right? Because I think that's going to be something that, you know, you look at the NHL, the NFL, Major League Baseball and stuff, their NBA, their draft coverage is like is a big deal, right? Like there's people that have full media careers just based on covering the draft and the prospects that are going to be and possibly being selected, right? So I think uh, giving people more of an opportunity to see those players, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, especially... Um... Because I think obviously we'll have like the mixture of what can be described as like amateur and professional. So it can be a semi-pro competition. It's even listed in the article about um, they don't want to be seen as, you know, conflicting with um, the BC rugby schedule. They also um, view it. uh, So the actual wording is the best example I can give would that this could operate as the might attend to MLR's Super Rugby. And I think that's a good way to approach it as well, as in it's not in conflict with MLR. If anything, it's complementary to it. Um, And, you know, and that's the thing is like, so there's only seven clubs at the moment, one of which is um, the uh, three uh, Vancouver ones, the Vancouver Wave, Vancouver East, Vancouver Island, and then you have the three universities like UVic, UBC, and TWU, and um, as well as the Pacific Pride. Pacific Pride. So obviously, um, you know, speaking of MLR, a league that started with seven teams, maybe we can see a progression as well. I'm not holding on. Um, ho- I don't think that this league will ever expand to such size. I'm saying probably like eight teams just to make the numbers a lot easier. Um, but that's the thing. If this is successful, then you, you know you can then argue, oh, why don't we have something similar in a different part of North America that can also allow like um, semi-pro rugby to take place without interfering with yeah. the local rugby scene. Like and- the 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 first team club rugby in Ontario is. If you're talking about level competition it's one of the highest levels I would say in North America. Like it's a very strong competitive circuit. That being said, it's still pay to play. So if something like this can happen out West with all the marketing opportunities that Ontario and Toronto has to offer, this could be a really interesting seismic movement for for rugby in Canada. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wish the first season of the Curry Cup 
<laughs> I don't I don't care what its official name will be. It'll be that to me. Um, and South Africa uh, Rugby Union, we'll see you in court. And yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, we'll use those those lawyers that they threatened the Lions with. Well, the New York <laughs> lawyers. We have yeah. our New York lawyers. All right. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, okay, let's we've got one more piece of news before we kind of end off the show, guys. And it's also coming from uh BC Rugby. Um uh Lisa Cooper, uh who looks like she's a um a regular opinion piece writer for BC Rugby. I saw somewhere someone saying that she was also a former sevens player i you yep. know i've scoured the 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 internet as as much as i was willing to and didn't find a whole lot of information about her but anyways uh she wrote an opinion piece and i'm glad that they made the point of calling this an opinion piece about and that the title is is a is all truly equal in the fight for equality in rugby canada draw your conclusions carefully and essentially she uh, lays out a uh, argument that John Tate was defamed in silence and others within Rugby Canada community could not speak out publicly in his support amid a climate of fear of losing their own positions or being called out as guilty by association. Again, this, it was a very, uh, I think, in my opinion, it was a very well written article. Again, it's a very biased article in my opinion. Um, and it just comes down to it's just another it's just another article that's been written that rugby canada could have avoided by having done the right thing <laughs> and released the the findings and and if if they were worried about confidentiality strike names strike names of those who do not want to be involved because hmm. i saw people talk about that how maybe some of the complaints didn't want their names out there and that's why rugby canada kept it confidential Okay, but we're we're having names circled around anyways. Like like, that's we need. There needs to be clarity on on the topic, and uh, I want to get your guys' quick opinions about this. We don't have a lot of time, so yeah. Give me what you thought about this because I, we were we were sent this by by a multiple few people, people. multiple oh, yeah. people wanting our opinions on this, and well, for sure, it's it's obviously it's big news. I think um, coming out. I think the article. It, it, it is very interesting, obviously. Um, like I said, it's definitely it's definitely written from somebody that is, you know, on the side of John Tate very clearly. Um, but that's fine because a lot of the stuff that we've had previously presented in the media publicly has been very much on the side of the women's sevens team. Um, and w- all we really have known up to this point is that there's a massive rift in Rugby Canada as a result of this situation. So it's 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 nice to see somebody at least a media outlet providing what might be the other side of the coin on this story. Um, I think there's a couple of things in here that I think, I I think are the, the major points. Um, One Lisa Cooper says that it seems that this whole thing started based on some lineup decisions surrounding, you know, if players could keep their spots after the Tokyo 2020 Olympics was postponed. So I think like that's, I guess, in in Lisa's opinion, that is what started this whole situation. Um, And then I think the other one that is very interesting that she does say is that the 37 names, the 37, like, you know, um, she makes a point of calling them statements um, because, you know, Lisa Cooper's now is claiming that not all of those 37 names were actually filing complaints against John Tate, which, um, 
is a big key piece of information, I think. And um, I do find it interesting that at the end of her piece, she does highlight that uh, Alan Vanson quote of, you know, feel free to draw your own conclusions. Um, I agree with you, Dan. Um, it, I, I do. I think I do appreciate that BC Rugby News called this an opinion piece um, and not necessarily like, you know, peer reviewed scientific, peer reviewed yeah. scientific research um, article. But, you know, so it's, I think it is, I think do, though too, because it's like, like I said, it's like all we've known is that something has happened between John Tate and the women's sevens team. And it's caused a major rift that is ripping Rugby Canada apart as an organization. And this is the first media outlet that has put something out that attempts to, in their point of view, ex- I guess, explain the, uh, you know, Tate side of this story. And um, like I said, I would just, in all honesty, I would just encourage everybody to go read it. She also includes a, um, I didn't bother to read through it because I saw that it was like 70 pages of legal document, but she does include the, um, like the two different versions of the Rugby Canada policy that has been updated. Um, So she draws some, you know, so she lends her thoughts to what she thinks on that. Um, I should probably read the actual policy before making any further comment on it. So I'm not going to, Um, but I I think I would encourage everybody to go and read it. Um, You know, if if you read it and disagree with what is said, then so be it. If you read it and you do agree with it, then, you know, that's fine too. But I think, I think I totally agree with you, Dan. It's like, it's getting to the point where it's like, these articles are going to come out. um, People are going to dig up things and, you know, Again, like as it says, it's an opinion, right? And I still think Rugby Canada would do well to get the actual report out um, so people can stop drawing their own conclusions and we can get some actual facts to look at and make judgments based on those. But um, I thought it's fascinating to read the other side of the the coin on the story. Yeah, and, and Stu, I want your opinions on this as well. I just find it... <sighs> It's, it seems that people and especially fans of 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 rugby canada are so willing to take this as law oh no it's definitely it's definitely not no it says opinion at the top exactly but, it says but opinion at the top. but people are trying to s- send this to us to Here's, make it sound like this I, can change our mind yeah. which you know like and, I, you don't know what our minds are you know yeah. like i i will say that i still think that i still think that that, that you know the women had a, had a base for why they made these complaints. Otherwise, why would, you know, I think that is a very, very aggressive stance to take that they were willing to use all of these complaints that they had just so they can get rid of a coach. Like I, that is a very hard stance to take. And I, as a, as a father and as just a, a supporter of women's rights, have a very hard time deciding that that is right. And if, if it comes out that if they release a report and, hey, that's true, then fine. I'll, I will, you know, go back on my stance. But Well, that's – I think that's a big thing, though, right, is it's like, you know, if, if you – depending on how you do want to to take this and stuff, there's obviously kind of two sides of it. But I think – that's why I think Rugby Canada would do well to just get the actual, like, information in the report out, yeah. though, right? is to be like this this see this is definitively what has happened right and let people 
you know, make their judgments based on that. Let people make their judgments based on things that are factual and have been proven. And that's not, and again, like you said, I was like, I would love like a full out, like follow-up piece on this just to be like, here is the evidence to back up the stuff that is said. Yeah. Just like actual, like the, the concrete, like here's the text conversations, block out phone numbers, do whatever. But like, here's, you know, what this person said, here's, you know, like they're talking about the content of the complaints in, in the, in the, um, like yeah. in the article. And it's like, she, I would love to like, you, know, you said then block out names, but like see the complaints. Yeah. I mean, like stuff too. Right? She acknowledges it in the article. I conclude this by saying that this is this perspective comes from a position of uh, she, her, a former rugby player and coach. I'm a mother to does, a daughter. Yeah. And then she also says, reader, you have been provided another side to this story. So she is obviously trying to share a side of the story. Yeah. You know? no, oh, I don't think sure. that. They're, they're, yeah, it's a side. Uh, anyways, uh, Stu, how did you feel about reading this and and kind of what people have said? And, you know, you weren't, you know, unfortunately, because of work schedule, you weren't part of our our episode where we had to break all of this down. Yeah. Um, no, but I did listen it? to it and oh my god I'm tired I'm Absolutely. tired I'm tired of this and, and I'm just someone listening about it I can't imagine like the people who are going through living this. living in it yeah and like no matter which way you roll the dice no matter which side of the coin you look at rugby Canada does not come out of this looking well. no everything they they could have you know nipped it in the bud and said this is the official document that we've released um of the official complaint this is what how we found the conclusion that we found so on and so forth and this is but this is this is a very articulate opinion piece and its intended purpose is to convince you that this is the truth but it's not it's an opinion it's a bias it's from it's formed around the opinion of supporting one party over another and in the end and you can say that oh well look how they did at the uh, olympics therefore it's justified this opinion and people who are like, I'm looking at like the comments. Anyone who is offering uh, a comment, different the comment section on, the, on that article. No, is a, don't is do it. Yeah. I, I'm not going to read out the comments. I'm just saying that the section that anytime someone says, now, hang on, this is an opinion piece. You can't call your opinions facts. is getting downvoted into oblivion. And, you know, and yeah, like that's the thing. Some people have already made up their mind. When they say, like, I would ask you to redraw your own conclusions, their own conclusions are what they already believe to begin with. Yeah. Also, if you spent the time to write out a very articulate opinion piece, when you say draw your own conclusions, you're basically trying to get them to say, draw agree my with mine. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing is, and, and there is a vo- very vocal group of people that are in support of John Tate. And then yeah. they're just going to continue to scream and shout until we get more clarity. And that's, yeah. and I think, yeah. And I think there's, there's people that are vocal in support of the women's sevens team too. For sure. yeah. And it's just, yeah. I think, because I think what, what it is, it's, it's like you have the people that are supporting the women's sevens team. And then you have the people that are supporting John Tate and they're using like 
you know the sides and it's like like any other tribalism issue, right? it's, it's, it's like, tribalism yeah. at its finest like well, it's it's, yeah. it's like yeah it's like you're, you're reading the information that you want to like it does. Like if you want to, you know, you read like the CBC articles, the stuff that Rugby Canada themselves are pointing it, putting out, it's very heavily favors the women's sevens team. Um, I think this is the first article that I've read that is in favor, like favors John Tate's side of the argument. And for that alone, I think it's interesting and worth reading. Um, but I, I'm still like, it's, it's getting to the point where it's like, like even I saw somebody on like a tweet on Twitter. I can't remember who sent it, but it was just like, it was just a simple like at rugby Canada. Do you have a response to this? And to be honest, I'm kind of like I feel like rugby Canada should probably have to respond to that yeah. because it's like why are you why like you know what I mean like why yeah like for people like, why you know, like letting for them to say that yeah. like that releasing the the our the the report yeah. wouldn't do any good. This it, is what's this happening is what's, by you yeah, just letting are, it fester. People are doing that anyways. People yeah. Are, we're, yeah, people are writing articles based on what they believe, based on, it's like, you know what, I talked to this person, this person said this, I talked to this person, this person said this, and that's, and that's going to yeah, change the public opinion gonna on, on It's going to keep on happening. Whether that's it's right or wrong, article, it's going to change how people feel yeah. until they see yeah. what is at, what yeah. actually That's not happened. to say that this article isn't like, is like complete nonsense or anything, because there's, like, it is, it is a good article, and yeah, it does, sure. it does definitely do well to present that side of the story and i think it's 100 percent worth reading and but i think you have to like think of the grain of salt somebody at rugby canada to step up and be like this is this is what happened yeah i think actually this is what happened i think as well is if if this is so important to so many people and it should be is is what steps should be taken to ensure something like this doesn't happen again what steps if say um there is another coach who um has this similar circumstance happen to them what is what procedure should be in place about getting an oversight committee it's becoming more and more relevant and important to have because you know who answers to whom the it's so there's such lack of tra- transparency yeah. that all that we have is speculation and yeah for sure and and especially in a more digital age transparency is what we need yeah yeah all right guys well let's let's finish off there um we want to say um good luck to the 12 eligible draftees for the mlr draft um the next time we record will be after the draft so you know, to all those uh, young men, you know, good luck. You are uh, entering a, a new era of professional rugby in Canada, and you guys are going to be like the pioneers. You know, we had we had um, what one Nick Taylor was the only Canadian drafted in the first draft. Yes. Yeah. Well, Canadians were tech- people from Canadian schools and stuff. Yeah. Were tech- exactly. Yeah, so these duels. these young men are going to be the first Canadian university rugby players to be drafted yeah, no, nobody was drafted out of a canadian school yes yeah last year so but there, yeah taylor was drafted yeah so um good luck to you guys that's that's so exciting um and if you don't keep your nose to the grindstone join the curry cup show work your arse off and maybe someone will sign you you know they're so it's it's exciting with the expanded there's now what three rounds now in the draft 
Yes. Yeah, so, I think so, yeah. you know, more chances. I'm but not anyways, sure if I'm, they made that official or not. Yeah, so, I'm excited to see I've what happens. rumors that that's what people yeah. are leaning towards. I'm excited to see what happens in this draft, guys. And uh, until then, uh, enjoy some, some off-season rest, and uh, we'll hear back from you pretty soon.